cannot tolerate anarchy on the internet. The cost is too great. The safety, the mental health, and even the lives of our kids and our most vulnerable are at stake. I'm confident... That's what it sounded like Monday in Parliament when Canada's Justice Minister and Attorney General Arif Varani introduced the country's long-awaited online harms bill. It's to regulate internet companies and social media platforms. It's mainly aimed at protecting kids from harmful pornography and child exploitation, but it also tackles the explosion of online hate speech. And when I say long-awaited, it's because the Trudeau government promised this back in 2021, so three years ago. But it's taken them a couple of back-to-the-drawing-board sessions under a series of different heritage ministers until the final version came out this week, and it's called Bill C-63. The bill covers seven kinds of harms. Three are about hate speech, and that's of keen interest to our audience, the Jewish community, because for years, Canadian Jewish advocacy groups like Sija and B'nai B'rith have been urging the government to do something to control the vast amount of hateful online anti-Semitic posts on social media and that are being live-streamed, including on Twitch and Discord. Now, it was bad enough before, but they say after October 7th, things have become very dangerous. The RCMP's anti-terror squad arrested two teenagers in Ottawa who got radicalized on the Internet and were allegedly planning to build a bomb that would explode somewhere in the capital's Jewish community. For years, these big tech companies didn't do much voluntarily. Elon Musk bought Twitter and then fired tons of his content moderators, even though he says Twitter's now less anti-Semitic than when he bought it. But under the new law, Canada joins several other Western countries and the European Union who are also reining in social media companies. But some Canadian Jewish leaders worry the new bill will already get turned into a political football. I don't want the opposition, whether it's the NDP or the Bloc Québécois or, or the Conservatives, I, I hope that they don't play games with this. People's lives are at stake. We're talking about ordinary Canadian lives at stake. The, our quality of life is at stake. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, February the 29th, a leap year, 2024. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. There's lots of interesting things about this new bill. One of them is that the bill will slap huge financial fines on Internet companies if they don't quickly take down child porn or exploitation posts within 24 hours. Although they won't have to do this with hate speech issues. Instead, the bill will allow the courts to deal with this through tougher convictions, including instead of a two-year jail term, it'll be five years maximum, and anybody convicted of advocating genocide could go to jail for life. Right now, it's five years. The law will also bring back something that former Prime Minister Stephen Harper's government took out of the Canadian Human Rights Act, Section 13, which allows hate speech to be considered discrimination. So victims can now file lawsuits against government departments and agencies, banks, trains and airlines. One other key part, there'll be a new standalone commission set up to oversee online dangers for kids and hate. It's called the Digital Safety Commission with its own ombudsman, and it's all separate from the CRTC, which handles broadcasting in Canada. So is this law good for the Jews? Well, we have two views on today's show. They're both yes, but law professor Michael Geist of Ottawa U, who's an expert on internet law and free speech issues, has some red flags. First, though, we'll bring on Bernie Farber. He's a child of a Holocaust survivor and longtime Jewish advocate for fighting anti-Semitism and hate. The government actually hired Farber two years ago to help shape this new online harms bill. You were one of the 
12 or 11 people that was... Uh, I was the only non-academic. And it the was, only Jew. Was, and the only Jew. And it was kind of fun, but it was it was good. And then the people that were actually you know asked to participate in this federal task force were the best of the best. Shockingly, the government, I say it shockingly in a nice way, the government actually took what we gave them and so far has molded it into a, a, a pretty strong statement of legislation. We'll see what it turns out to be after it goes through, you know, various different uh, hearings and that type of thing. Uh, but I'll tell you the two things that I really pushed for, which, you know, I think is kind of interesting that that, that won the day. Uh, the first was a return to Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. And that was a section, of course, that allowed ordinary people, you or me, to actually lay complaints um, under the uh, under the act to uh, to, to deal with um, discrimination and anti-Semitism and hate, and, you know, everything that goes along with that. That was repealed by Harper in 2012, I believe, maybe 2013. And from the, the time it was appealed, we saw what happened. The social media went uh, bizarro. The darker sides began to take over from the lighter sides, if I can put it that way. Uh, we had bullying, intimidation. Uh, we had discrimination, and we had murder because you know the the, the two the two or three high profile cases were instigated, uh, and these people were radicalized by what they saw online. So Alex Nassini, the, I'll just tell our listeners, the young street driver who killed people because he was an incel. This is in Toronto. Yeah. So you have Alex Manassian, you have Alexandre Lubissonnet, who was the uh, shooter at the Quebec City Mosque, who murdered six Canadian Muslims. You had, of course, uh, just recently the, the conviction, uh, both of murder and of, and, and, and of terror of Nathaniel uh, Veltman in London, Ontario, who, who murdered four generations. Uh, of a Muslim family. And then just across the border, you had Robert Bowers, uh, who walked into a shul, Tree of Life Synagogue in, in Pittsburgh, and, and murdered 11 Jews. All of them radicalized or in some way, in, this was instigated by, uh, by what they saw and what they were motivated with online. And I hold, Ellen, very strongly that had these laws, at least here in Canada, been in place, the, the three murderers, I think it would have been, I believe, uh, a much more difficult uh, task uh, for them to have become so radicalized. Talking about what you just mentioned, the human rights complaint process, which is now back on. Some critics have said they're going to flood the Human Rights Commission with so many complaints. It's going to get so bogged down. Section 13 has been in the in the act for many, many years. Um, you can count on the fingers of uh, two hands and on the feet of two toes the, the, the actual number of cases that were brought forward under uh, the previous Section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act. And as a matter of fact, there were only a few lawyers, Richard Warman amongst them, uh, who actually used the act to shut down some very uh, dangerous and serious uh, neo-Nazi uh, websites. But there was not an overwhelming uh, demand. There just, there just wasn't. What else did you ask and that you got in this bill? And what didn't you get? Two things that I asked for was uh, a return to Section 13. They're not calling it Section 13, but it, it basically, if you look at it, that's what it is. And the second one was a, an ombudsperson. And this is, it, it really tells us that there is an eye towards the, like the common person. 
And I think that this was the biggest concern and biggest complaint years ago when these issues came forward, that to wind your way through the morass of uh, public policy in terms of you know getting a case brought forward and doing it properly and with, with nobody really there to help you. See, there were case officers, but it's just not the same thing. An ombudsperson is not responsible for to the Human Rights Commission, not responsible to government. It's a separate office. Um, and their job will be to ensure that those legitimate and credible cases um, get the play that the, you know that that they need. And I was really, uh, it was one of my really one of my key issues. We have it now, and here here is my call. Um, you know, I I, I witnessed um, some of the opposition, uh, Mr. Bolieva and others, who even before seeing the law. And I say this in a nonpartisan way. Yeah, people ran for liberals 102 years ago, but here we finally have a tool. I've been talking about the need for tools to deal with hate. This is a tool. I think a lot of work went into it. They kind of got it right. They're going to have to fiddle a little bit with it, I, I, I suppose. Nothing's perfect when it first comes out of the box until it's kind of put together. And my hope, and I, I would ask the, uh, the, the opposition to give this some serious thought, is to find a way to make this a nonpartisan bill, to find a way to embrace this, and for the first time in God knows how many years, work together because this is for the people. This is really for the people, and it's really for the kids. And to to find ways to stifle it or to find ways to get it off the rails, that's not the way to go. They already have in the criminal code, Section 318, Section 319, they also put in an, a couple of smaller amendments that you can't display Holocaust um, imagery or flags or what have you. Um, you can't denigrate the Holocaust. Why did they need a particular specific body, entity, and law to do what is already in the criminal code? Section 318 deals with the call for genocide. Uh, the call for genocide can come in any which way. It can come in magazines. It can come in uh, rallies. It could come in uh, television programs. There's a, there's a million and two ways it, it can come. And yes, it, it can come uh, via the web, but the web is international in scope. Um, and we needed to find a way not to tame it, but to understand it and then look at it as a separate entity that that can be used as a weapon in, uh, you know, in, in the battle for hatred, in the battle to promote hatred. Um, police have their hands full, sadly, recently, as, we, as our community has seen itself, in trying to police um, hatred and trying to police most especially uh, anti-Semitism. Not to say that there isn't ongoing uh, Islamophobia, uh, not to say that there isn't ongoing homophobia. Of course there is. But what has exploded in the, in, in, since October the 7th in, in percentages that, that boggle the mind? Uh, Jew hatred. Anti-Semitism, and and that is what you know the police do, and they are overburdened. This law now gives the opportunity for anybody, actually, to be you know assistance to the police in many respects. And my my second my second uh, uh, idea is this: that um, the web is a very special, uh, very. Um, new and growing kind of an institution. Uh, we're getting into AI. We're getting into things that, Ellen, you and I would never have dreamed possible, you know, back in the day. 
and it will go well beyond the powers of police to, to, to try and come up to snuff in dealing with it. Back in the day, and I go back to you know the early 80s, I know with the Heritage Front and, uh, and Ernst Zundel and all, and all those other crumb bums, if five people took their papers, that was considered a really, really good day. And then along comes social media. And now all it takes is, I don't know, I can sit here after our, our interview and in 10 minutes I could create a, a hate site and with the push of a button, literally the push of a key, I could spread it out to literally hundreds of thousands potentially seeing it. We want to make this into a good tool. We, we want, we're hoping that the actual elements that we give to social media websites, uh, that, that they use this to become good corporate citizens. But we know with... Twitter and TikTok and all the other social media platforms, our politicians like Anthony Housefather and others have been at them in this committee for years to fight anti-Semitism online to get them to, you know, actually introduce the IRA definition, hire people who know what they're doing and take stuff down. And that has been even, you know, holding hearings in the Senate in the United States. If it's not going to be this, I don't know what it's going to be. You know, this is this is this is my concern. I, will it work? We're seeing signs of it working in the places where it's been uh, imposed. I wasn't expecting such a uh, significant law. I, I really wasn't. It's not it's not been what I've seen from government before. There's some pretty heady stuff in here. They're going to send you to prison for life. For life. Talk about genocide. Maximum, <laughs> yes, maximum penalty. That's not going to yeah. happen. I'm not it's, a lawyer. It's not, it's not going to happen. I, I'm not even sure it, it's constitutional. But they're serious. I mean, when they say that, people look at them and they go, oi, this is, this is you know, we're, we're not playing with candy anymore. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work. But they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pried, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. And now let's bring in Michael Geist, a professor of law and internet law at Ottawa University. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Why did they need to tighten up the criminal code and the Canadian human rights legislation to specifically talk about online harm? Because as I earlier mentioned, there are already several provisions about incitement and speech. Uh, We've obviously seen serious concerns about enforcement on the ground, not online related issues, but offline related issues. We've similarly seen longstanding concerns about the roles that platforms play, whether or not they uh, they are willing to remove content, whether they are even willing to address the kinds of concerns that get raised, what happens, the lack of transparency associated with that, and whether or not there is liability for those platforms for failure failure to act in a reasonable way. And there are elements within this legislation that seek to deal with that. The initial sort of first 24-hour reaction type thing has centered less on what the bill was really supposed to focus on, the online harm side, and more on this the expansion on the criminal code side, as well as the expansion at the Canadian Human Rights Commission, which I know many have been calling for for a long time, but I think unquestionably runs the risk of just turning 
that institution into a bit of a circus with just large numbers of complaints that bogs down the entire commission and never really gets to the the most central and, and critical kinds of issues that it needs to address. Let's talk yeah. about your concerns about the Digital Safety Commission. We need some mechanism to enforce all of this. And it's not clear that at the moment we have an ideally situated agency or entity to do that. You know, having government itself do it would raise real concerns for sure. Once you're getting into speech related issues, having the CRTC, the broadcast and telecom regulator do it, uh, it's not well situated to deal with content in, in this kind of way. And it's already been overloaded with a bunch of issues that frankly, it doesn't have a ton of competence for either. And so I, I get that there may well be a need to create something new. Uh, the, the concerns around the Digital Safety Commission involve several things. One, it does involve who's involved. The chair will be voted on by both the House and the Senate. So the government is saying this will be a very open process in terms of who's there. I must admit, I'm not convinced that having between three to five commissioners is sufficient. I think you need people who have who bring expertise around a range of different harms. You need people who bring expertise around privacy, around freedom of expression, around equality-related issues. There are enormous implications for how this law gets interpreted, and a very small commission, uh, I think, may be inadequate for the for the task at hand. And when I look to the kind of powers that this commission has been handed, you know, they are quite frankly, quite astonishing. Um, the commission has the ability to conduct a whole series of investigations and issue orders. And uh, there are and, and associated with that, there are not even rules of evidence. In fact, the law says that they don't have to follow legal or technical rules of evidence. They want to, they want the commission to act informally and expeditiously. But that strikes me as as inconsistent with rules that talk about making content inaccessible or demanding any information it wants from regulated services, holding hearings that it can choose to close to the public if it thinks that it's necessary and establishing these codes of conduct and levying the sorts of penalties that we mentioned earlier, very significant into the multi-million dollar penalties. That seems to me to be the kind of commission that we need appropriate oversight of the commission. We need real rules of evidence associated with it. And I think we need a large enough commission to ensure that the the various concerns and perspectives are, are brought to bear. You've talked about privacy issues and free speech. How comfortable are you with what this bill says that the bill respects freedom of speech? Um, I know it doesn't cover things like email and private text messages, but WhatsApp gets huge amount and telegram there where a lot of the articles and stuff that are deep you know deeply concerning get spread sure so I, and i'm not sure that it's a gap the private communications are excluded and i recognize some may might like to see private communications included once you start expanding the scope of the communication there will be thresholds that involve that will say that this is no longer a private communication this is now something that is public and in in such case it, it will have the effect of being covered by this legislation. So what are the good things that you like about this bill? What should Canadians celebrate? Right. Well, I mean, I guess my starting point, and it, it's damning it a little bit with faint praise, is it could have been a lot worse. So, you know, when, when I think of how the government has approached some of the other digital issues, this feels like one of the first Internet regulation bills that seems to be driven by policy from this government rather than either implementing the demands of lobby groups or trying to settle scores with big tech. So I think the the kind of the duty type approaches that are included in the legislation the the duty to act 
responsibly, the duty to make certain content inaccessible, and a duty to protect children works well in the context of large platforms because there is some amount of flexibility there as technology changes. Think, for example, what happens when AI becomes an increasingly increasingly important part of this story and how do we adapt to AI generated hate and the need to ensure that there is also acting responsibly in the context uh, of that kind of content. So I think that part I think is, is, is really good. I think they've done a, a, a decent job of identifying the specific harms that they're most concerned with and trying to define those. I think there will be debates around some of those definitions, you know, for example, uh, and this really does play into where I think many listeners will be interested in. There's, there's of course a provision dealing specifically with content that foments hatred uh, and that's described or defined as content that expresses detestation or vilification of an individual group uh, on the basis of a of a ground that's uh, of pro that's prohibited of discrimination, but it does add, and there's a provision that adds that, you know, fomenting hatred does not include where it's, simply expressing disdain, dislike, discredit, dis you discredit someone, humiliate, hurt, or offend someone. Uh, that's not fomenting hatred. And so they've tried to to narrow it to what they see as the, the, the real harms on that issue and others. Uh, and I think in that sense, there's a positive there as well. So, you know, I think that there are there are there's a, there's a lot that I think we can work with here. Uh, the question is, of course, how does this play out in the the coming months? Does this become just yet another issue that becomes highly polarized and politicized? With sort of where the various political parties land on this, and where public opinion, which of course can drive some of that political opinion, goes. We see bomb scares in Ottawa at the schools. Yeah. We see a guy building a bomb. Where did he learn that from? Radicalization yeah. online. Clearly, these are real issues. And there's plenty that people say, yeah, I'm absolutely behind it. And then there's a but. And the but is there's a bunch of other things that you've put in there. You put forward provisions to talk about life in prison. That's how you kind of end up with uh, legislation that becomes really delayed and becomes uh, part of a political battle and becomes a source for fundraising for both respective sides. And so then there becomes this almost interest in playing this out and letting it run because it becomes a moneymaker for the political parties on all sides and saying that this is what they're actively doing. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily. We're sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. For more on this story, go to the links in our show notes. My colleague Jonathan Rothman's got a good article on the CJN.ca. And you can also read the whole bill yourself. It's there too. By the way, the last time Ottawa tried to tell big tech what to do was last summer, specifically about the use of online news content, like the articles and podcasts we here produce. It backfired. Facebook and Instagram said no, and they probably blocked the sharing of Canadian news, which has hurt many publishers, including us. But so far, Meta has already said they're open to talking with Ottawa about this new bill for Facebook and Instagram, and Pornhub says it's reviewing the legislation. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily.